welcome to another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, editor at the Security Ledger. The threat of malicious software that can attack a computer's BIOS, the small bit of code that runs when a computing device is first powered on, isn't new. Malicious programs that infect the BIOS have been around since the late 1990s when the Chernobyl virus was identified. But BIOS, or boot sector threats, have been getting more attention lately. Proof-of-concept malware appeared as recently as 2007, and in 2011, virus researchers working for a Chinese firm identified Membromi, a boot sector virus infecting systems in that country. Last year, the NSA warned about offensive cyber weapons developed by the Chinese military that could infect the BIOS and destroy systems they were installed on. All this has prompted calls by NIST, the National Institute of Standards Technology, for manufacturers to find a way to harden or replace BIOS with a more robust attack-resistant alternative. Here to speak with us about that, we have Brian Richardson. He's a senior technical marketing engineer with Intel and Intel's representative to the UEFI Forum, where he's on the industry communications working group. The UEFI Forum is a community effort led by technology and PC firms to modernize the boot process. UEFI stands for Unified Extensible Firmware Interface, and the specification defines a new model for the interface between a personal computer operating system and the platform firmware. I spoke with Brian late last month about the work of the UEFI Forum and its potential impact on security, including the security of things. I started by asking him how the UEFI standard would fix some of the security problems that have been identified with the traditional BIOS. So one of the things that happens with BIOS because of the the simplicity of it is if you wanted to inject your own code, say you're Mr. Bad Guy or Mrs. Bad Guy because it's a modern era, um, we... The, the BIOS was pretty simple. You did all of your initialization work, and you handed it off to a magic space on the boot disk. And you, it, was, it was a jump instruction. You just went and never came back. So if you were able, as a software author, to put your magic code in that space, you had control of the system before the operating system came online. So security people can now imagine any kind of crazy stuff they want to do in that, that magic little bit of space. Right. Um, with UEFI... We wanted to make sure that space didn't exist, especially when the system was more complex and allowed you to do more interesting things like networking from preboot. Um, so now if you don't put in some kind of security mechanism, you have control of the magic space and you can get to the Internet. So all kinds of crazy scenarios happen there. So UEFI allows um, people to sign their code, uh, whether it's an add-in driver or the operating system loader or some kind of pre-OS utility, like a a maintenance utility or disk recovery, and sign it against a central authority so that there's a way to not only attest that, yes, the same authority that I rely on to sign my video option ROM and RAID driver and network driver is also signing the operating system, but if something bad happens and some code slips through, there's also a central revocation area so that the OS can say, you know what, there's some bad utilities floating around. I'm going to run revocation on the security database in my firmware so that the next boot, that thing can't get control. And so that framework is all written in. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people were already doing this in their embedded devices, but they weren't doing it in a standardized central way. It was more a security by obscurity model, which we all know doesn't quite work once you figure out the obscure secret. 
basically, you, you've got a mechanism within UEFI to verify the authenticity of any code that would be started by or run by uh, the, the BIOS to prevent somebody right. from inserting malicious code in there, which presumably would be unsigned um, to, to run in its right. place. And in terms of the, mm-hmm. the tools available for, for companies, you, you know, you might have a large company with uh, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of devices. Um, how would they manage this across that huge population? So there's two ways of, of doing this. One is to work with a, a central signing authority. So UEFI has the certificate authority, um, which the front end is operated by Microsoft. And that is an authority that is currently used by, uh, say, Windows 8, Windows 2012, um, all of the Linux distributions, uh, FreeBSD, to if they're going to have a secure boot compatible loader that a user can just enable, then the CA is sort of the central authority for signing all of those items. So if you get, um, if you assemble a system based on, um, say, Red Hat uh, Enterprise 7, and you get an AMD graphics card and an Intel motherboard and uh, a Realtek network controller, and they're all signed by that authority, when you enable secure boot on that system, or if SecureBoot's already enabled on that system and you upgrade components, then that chain of trust is maintained to that security authority. The second way of doing it, which is more the model of like an embedded system or somebody who's building out a a private network, is to self-sign a number of components. So if you're in the extremely paranoid model and you want to build your own Linux kernel and sign it yourself, and that's the only thing that loads on your platform, as far as handoff to the OS, you can do that too. Uh, and then you just get into your own methods of key management at that point. So if you're a big you know, OEM, like original equipment manufacturer, like a Dell or a Lenovo, you might have a set of utilities only for your systems. And you have a, a custom key that assures they only run on your systems that are provisioned with your key. And you've got the private key you know, locked up in a Mission Impossible safe somewhere. And as long as Tom Cruise doesn't come to the air vents, everything's fine. And then everything else that's off the shelf runs off the certificate authority. Uh, I've got videos on the on channel Intel, and we've got a ton of presentations on UEFI.org that explain how the, the security, that, how that signing system works. But it's all based on standard public key encryption. Okay. So given that it's a more secure alternative, um, but, you know, boot sector, uh, BIOS malware was not a very big problem, is not a very big problem today, certainly measured against the, you know, user space malware that's out there. Um, Are there other features of UEFI that in the long term, as you know, as this becomes the standard, as the old systems kind of die off and new systems using UEFI come online, um, that will enable um, more and more comprehensive hardware-based low-level security that, that might actually tip the scales in, in the user space as well. Things like you know, TPM already exist for having a, another layer of protection that's hardware-based. Um, most of the hardware-based protections are typically things that do things like protect, they isolate I.O., uh, say in virtualization, there's already protection so that if you're running a virtualized system that you've partitioned I.O. so that you can't try to sneak from one VM to another through an I.O. channel or a memory channel. Right. Uh, a lot of those things are kind of separate from UEFI. That secure bit allows you to have kind of maintain that, that chain of trust from the firmware up to the operating system. Um, one of the bigger things that UEFI handles, you were talking about systems at scale, like having 100,000 systems 
uh, in an area. So let's take a, uh, a cloud computing scenario where you need to update a server farm or a cluster of systems that all have a common piece of uh, firmware, not necessarily the system BIOS, but let's say that you picked up a, a bunch of 10G network adapters. That network adapter has its own initialization firmware that comes as part of the platform. The way that you would normally do that update now, the, the terrible way to do it is to give some intern a USB key and say, here's a server farm, we'll come pick you up you know, in a couple hours or a couple days, and you just need to go through every system and update the firmware. That's kind of awful. Um, you could do it at the OS level, um, but then if you're worried about patching against some kind of injection attack, um, then you have to make sure that the OS level update utility isn't compromised or can't be compromised. Uh, what UEFI offers is a, a platform called Capsule, and Capsule allows, no matter what the operating system is, um, you're able to take a firmware update uh, for an individual component or an entire system, put it into memory, and do a soft reset, and let that system basically consume the capsule and apply it as an update. And those capsules can be signed, so that improves the security reference, uh, or sorry, the security platform. But it also um, allows existing protocols like firmware management protocol, which is designed to do these mass updates, to have a more secure method rather than trying to run uh, some DOS utility that it's reset into or some other kind of you know, very OS-specific mechanism to um, insert those types of updates. So having the ability to sign a capsule, put it in the memory, and either have that capsule provide the update code itself or rely on the firmware, which was also signed and complies to a bunch of uh, NIST standards to do the, the update. So you're preventing the type of attack where somebody forges a version of the update utility or tries to break open a piece of firmware for an essential component and inject their own code into it. You know, in the old days, the BIOS was kind of, you know, uh, set it and forget it. I mean, it was very likely that you would never change the BIOS, even if you were upgrading your operating system or, and certainly patching it um, frequently and upgrading it not infrequently. Um, the BIOS was, as you said, kind of it was always there, and, and chances are you would never update it and, and unless something went wrong. In this new regime with UEFI, is it the expectation that, uh, BIOS upgrades might be coming along not infrequently, and, and this might be a, a piece of your infrastructure that you're paying more attention to and managing more actively than, than in the old regime. Yeah, we still prefer that you not have to update it uh, as much. I mean, I like to think of BIOS as part of the system, you know, as much a part of the hardware as anything else. But the reality is, is that nobody writes perfect code. And you need to have an update mechanism, but you also need to have one that's easier to use. Um, there's, so if you go to uefi.org, we have this uh, uh, learning center that keeps all of our presentations from past UEFI events. And Microsoft actually did one on their, um, their firmware update system and how they're pushing firmware to tablets. They're trying to basically tie firmware updates uh, more closely to the Windows update system. So you could push out a firmware update as easily as you say patch a driver for the touchscreen or for the camera. And they were discussing how if, if the user has to run a manual update, they actually have data on this, that sometimes they'll, they'll be several months before um, some friend or typically somebody's um, you know, son comes home from college and updates their parents' laptop. Not that I've ever had to do that. And you know, so these, yeah. these, any critical issues may lag uh, from zero day out to three or four or five months, where if you can tie 
firmware updates in to something like, you know, that's as simple as updating your packages in Ubuntu or taking a Windows update. It gives you a better distribution system and you can get from zero day to maybe two days down the road or one day down the road before you've pushed updates to people. And there are a lot of systems where there will be two or three BIOS updates for a platform. Right. But because it's unwieldy and not standardized in any way, people tend not to take them. And so if someone will go and do a great amount of work on their firmware and then the users don't consume it and the issue still runs around in the wild. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, we are entering an Internet of Things. Many of the devices, you know, computing devices of the next five to ten years are are not going to look anything like, you know, laptops or or desktops. Um, We already have stories of, for example, Tesla pushing out a, you know, an update to their uh, suspension uh, via firmware mm-hmm. and applying that to their cars. So this is the environment that UEFI is going to be playing in. Is is it a um, system that is set up already to anticipate the complexity and diversity of that ecosystem and to support that? No, absolutely. It, it's well suited for the Internet of Things, which I, I assume is kind of like, you know, the way you pluralize like a murder of crows or a flock of <laughs> seagulls or whatever. I guess it's the Internet of we're Things. We're not talking Game of Thrones um, here, are we? Is this, what's okay, no, no, we're not. <laughs> but the the idea behind UEFI is, one, it's, it's fairly scalable. So if you take the same UEFI code base that runs on uh, this HP Envy that I have over here, the 17-inch laptop, that I use for video editing. It's exactly the same code base that I would run on Intel Galileo or an Intel Edison, which are, are things that my corporate masters are putting on the internet. It, it scales down very well because it's got a, a nice modular design. And so you can take all of those concepts that you're applying to, say, like cloud-based systems or cluster systems where you can connect them directly to the network without booting to the operating system or do capsule updates or... Um, make this nice scalable piece of firmware and apply that down to any of the many things that you can put on your internets. So let's say that I have a, an internet based gateway, Um, you know, internet of things. One of the concepts we have to get a hold of is how many things directly connect to the internet and how many connect to an intermediary. So maybe your approach isn't to have all of your helicopter drone things on your farm that are doing your agricultural sampling. They may not directly, you know, connect back to Comcast. They might actually connect to a gateway device, and that gateway device then manages all that data and pushes it up to whatever you're using to manage your farm. That's just one example. So if you were to do a, um, a firmware patch that kept these, you know, flying things that did weather measurements from being controlled remotely, then you can just go to that gateway and say, hey, gateway, when you get a chance, I want you to push updates to all these systems. Right. And you can then do these kind of scaled firmware updates because security on the Internet of Things is a, is a scale problem. And if you take the percentage of attacks that we have now and just multiply them, you know, you won't, you'll probably have the same raw percentage of attacks every year, but you have then, you know, a hundredfold devices that it will get deployed to. And they're not giant computers that you can easily turn off. Sometimes they're the thermostat in your house or the eight or ten devices that you just set up in an office to manage badge entry. So I would like it so that if my thermostat needed a software patch, it would happen you know, before somebody decided that my house needed to be 110 degrees in July. I think that you need to have a mindset that you know scales out concepts we're already using in UEFI and just make sure that 
those apply all the way down to the firmware on the, the smallest thing that you happen to stick online. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with the Security Ledger podcast. I really appreciate it and um, some really interesting stuff here. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more from you guys. Well, great. Thanks. I appreciate it. Brian Richardson is a senior technical marketing engineer with Intel's Software and Services Group, and he's also part of the UEFI Forum. He was here talking to us about UEFI, the replacement for BIOS that is already in use widely. Brian, thanks so much. All right, thanks.